Hi, and welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network on the Internet, broadcasting from two shipping containers outside Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus Creek. And we are the Garden Ladies of Groundworks, Inc. We design and build gardens in New York City and the surrounding area. And this show aims to bring the culture to horticulture. We aim for that. We aim for that. <laughs> but we have a great uh, rock star gardener today. That's right. We swam across the ocean. <laughs> to <laughs> the, the pond. Across the pond to England. We're speaking with Noel Kingsbury. Noel, are you on? Hi, on. Yep. Hi. Hi, Great. Noel. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for asking me. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to tell our audience a little bit about you. Um, you have quite a um, lot of gardening experience. <laughs> um, Noel Kingsbury, for those of you who have never heard of him, is an internationally known writer. Um, and gardener and garden designer. He writes about plants and gardens and the environment. He's also a teacher and a lecturer and, um, you know, planting designer and horticultural consultant. He's best known for his promotion of what is broadly called an ecological or naturalistic approach to planting design. Noel has written some 15 books on various aspects of plants and gardens, um, two of them in collaboration with another horticultural rock star, Dutch designer and plantsman Pete Udolf. He writes regularly for Gardens Illustrated, The Daily Telegraph, The Guardian, The Garden, Hortus, and a number of other publications. Noel has been actively involved in the promotion of quality public planting for many years. He undertakes consultancy work in the fields of garden maintenance and development, roof greening, facade greening, and collaborations with artists working in the public sphere. He writes a quarterly opinion column for Green Places, the Public Space Journal. And that's the abbreviated version. <laughs> right, Noel? <laughs> Right, yeah, there's more, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> much, much more. Well, I also wanted to congratulate you because I heard that you recently got married. Oh, oh that's right, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Joe and I have been together for, for, for 20 years, and uh, we find it was actually our solicitor, our legal advisor, said to us, you know, you guys ought to get married for, uh, well, all sorts of tax reasons. For tax purposes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was a nice thing to do. We had a fu fun weekend with the family. Good. That's great. In a garden, I hope. Uh, no, you don't want to do anything outside on the garden here at this time of year. <laughs> That's true. It could rain. <laughs> uh, it could rain. We've actually had an incredibly cold December. Oh, okay. More like, more like one of your winters, actually. I very, had read about cold. that, Noel. And is yeah, it? It's yeah. not very. It's not very typical for this for this past few decades. Very, very, very untypical. I mean, trying to translate it to Fahrenheit, we went down. We went down to about ten Fahrenheit. Wow! Which is unbelievably cold yeah. for us. Right. So tell, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about how you ended up working in horticulture? I had read that there's a legend that you skipped out of school to attend the Chelsea Flower Show, you know, and I, I um, have... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and my, my, my father was a very keen gardener. My mother knew all the names of the wildflowers and uh, had a couple of friends at school who were also very keen gardeners interested in growing kind of unusual stuff. And, um, you know, we're not that far from... Well, I was brought up not that far from London. Um, Tuesday afternoon was just sport, just a waste of time as far as we're concerned. So um, more than one year, actually, we, we skipped off to uh, to go to the Chelsea Flower Show. And what was that like for you? Well, um, it was... Um in those days, uh, the Chelsea Flower Show was dominated by these huge nursery stands. Ah. Uh, it was really before the garden. The gardens that were pretty much 
playing second fiddle. Uh, so, no, very exciting experience just to see so many really unusual plants, really well grown, really imaginatively put together. Um, just made me very aware of the incredible breadth and skill of the British nursery industry. Yes, yeah. It's very remarkable, and you're lucky that you get to go. Carmen and I always want to go every year, but it's right in the middle of our big, busy planting time. Yeah, to be honest, the Chelsea Flower Show is not what it used to be. No. Um, no, and there's a lot more smaller flower shows now, which I quite honestly, a lot of people find a lot more interesting to go to. Uh, Chelsea has been become much more about gardens, rather over-designed gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, fewer, fewer of the nursery people go. It's more like an installation, uh, so right. It's become a bit of an installation, yeah. yeah. That's what was happening here in the States, too, and many, many shows have closed. I mean, there used to be a New York flower mm. show, a San Francisco show, Philadelphia is still going on, but it really consists of mostly tents with people selling, you know, plumeria cuttings, and, you know, there's very little yeah, horticulture yeah. left. Yeah, no, it's, it's a difficult recipe to get right. Uh, well, there's a lot to do with, you know, getting the, getting the time of year right, having the right place. Um, yeah. No, I mean, every country has its own different model of, of flower show, I and mean, I'm not entirely convinced that ours, ours works particularly well either, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah I, I understand what you're saying. We were excited to learn that you actually got the opportunity to meet Roberto Burl Marx, one of the giants of landscape architecture. Right. What, what did you learn from yeah. that experience? Well, Roberto at the time was, he, he was more or less on his deathbed. I mean, he, he was <laughs> terminally ill. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to spend too much time with him. But I was able to stay in his house, which mm. is this rather beautiful place outside Rio with a fantastic plant collection. Sublime. And through various yeah. bits of negotiation, was able to get entry into quite a lot of his private gardens, oh, wow. uh, which were really stupendous places. Uh, it was also my first time ever to the tropics, my first time ever to, to Latin America, so there was lots of things happening at once. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's an experience that stayed very much with me, and I, I think he really was one of the absolutely exceptional people of the 20th century in, in bringing together uh, the, the art of, uh, of garden and landscape design, but with this passion about Brazilian native flora mm-hmm. and actually using a whole lot of new plants mm-hmm. uh, for horticulture, both public and private. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about what's happening in Germany and the influence that Germany has had on you. Yeah, specifically well, uh, with, with yeah, Pete Udolf. Um, what what really struck me. This was back in uh, 1994 when I first went to Germany and, and also started to go into Holland and, and meeting Pete Aldolf. Uh, and what's interesting about Germany is that plant, whereas in Britain all the interesting stuff that happens in gardening happens really within the private garden and private sector. In Germany it's all about public parks and public spaces. Mm-hmm. And there are these fantastic parks planted up with all the familiar garden perennials, but used in such a completely different way. A much freer, much more expansive, a much more naturalistic way. And so is that coming together of the familiar and the unfamiliar that just completely blew me away. And then meeting Pete, who is, I mean, the Dutch tradition is much more 
close really to, to the British one. I mean, in a way, his work was more conventional, but he was using a lot of plants, you know, grasses in particular, which we were not familiar with being mm-hmm. used, mm-hmm. and a lot of big late flowering perennials, and so his work was, was quite kind of architectural, quite structural, um, but with a lot of very exciting, new, and also quite low-maintenance plants. Right, right. I really wish that um, America would adopt that. I mean, I think our, you know, our big kind of pet project right now is the High Line. Yes. Which uh, is, well, yes, yes. Which is fabulous. inspiration, that. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, that and does... other places like, well, like the Lurie Garden in Chicago. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of good things happening in the States in gardening, but they're all in little sort of pockets. Exactly. And then there's kind of vast swathes where nothing happens but lawn. Exactly. And that's what I was just going to say. There's the, you know, vast suburban kind of empty, you know, hedges up against a, a suburban house. And, and it's, yeah. it's horrible, you know, especially... I, I, I just, uh, I don't know if the name Tova Martin means anything to Tova you. Martin, yeah. Sure. Garden, yes. right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Tova and I are, we're just about to start blogging together for, for Gardening Gone Wild. Oh, blog. fantastic. Uh, and so we've gotten into correspondence. And just this morning, she sent me, I hope she doesn't mind me reading this out, but... Uh, a paragraph, uh, I think. Do you, do you realize that the U.S. is still fighting back the frontier? Anything but lawn gives most folks the jitters. Most people are still in the cowboy and Indian mode and need wide open spaces to watch for the enemy. I figure that's how this began. <laughs> We're irrelevant. We are irreverent, bratty, spoiled iconoclasts. But just don't ask us to shake up the foundation plantings. Oh. Um, and I'm, I, I'm glad it's, I mean, if I said that, I would just come across as a kind of loudmouth, arrogant, old European. But um, yeah, well, there's an American saying it, so That's I don't have to great. say anything else. <laughs> it's, it's pretty astounding coming from Tova, you know, because phys- her physicality is a sweet, you know, like appearance, yeah. you know. Yeah. You don't expect that language, like that strong that language. Strength. But well, it's very, very true, and it's a really good way of describing people's reactions. We make a lot of urban gardens, Noel, and yeah. people, we have to talk, even urbanized that have every square inch matters, you know? And they yeah, want yeah. lawn. They want lawn, mm. you know, which is maddening yeah. to us, you know, in the yeah, shade. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the reaction against it has started, and James Van Sweden and Wolfgang Irma mm-hmm. have done you know, fantastic work. And you know, when they first did that that garden at the Federal Reserve Bank in, in D.C., mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they sort of more or less faced a, a lynch mob, as far as I gather, and they talked them all around. And... That became a really iconic garden, and you know the High Line. I think is is a fantastic example of something that the High Line is actually far and away the wildest looking thing that Pete has ever done. Right, uh, and I think that's particularly good in, in inspiration. It is, in fact. Well, you know, Pete's uh, yours and, and Pete's book, the designing with plants. Um, yeah. I think you know we work with a lot of younger people that we sort of mentor, and it's become like yeah. the Bible for landscape designers, you know, yeah. in the 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wanted to mm. sort of reach out to those folks that are listening. What what was the message that you were trying to convey to readers with that book, with Pete? Well, I think the plants can be thought of as a as a language that you know what what Pete is very good at is looking at plants and saying, well, actually this, you know, this is what I see. And he uses words like buttons and drumsticks and quite kind of physical language to describe, 
shape rather than, than, than colour. So looking at plants as, as a sort of design language and how you can then put those words, if you like, together to, with a sort of grammar of design to, mm. to, create, mm-hmm. uh, to, to create something. Yeah, you really have to think of the landscape as a composition um, mm, as you're yeah, designing yeah. it. And it's not just a gallery of, of plants, or it shouldn't be. I think they should all relate and then complement yeah, and yeah. accentuate each other, you know, and, th- and that's mm-hmm. what your work and Pete's work does so brilliantly. So has it taken root now, uh, no pun intended, in England? Are people starting to get rid of their beautiful English lawns and replace some of them with these more meadowy, naturalistic kind of plantings? It's quite slow. I mean, what has taken off hugely are grasses. Because yes. um, they, they fill that awful November gap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the grass, we've got the grasses, and there's certainly a much wider range of perennials being grown. I still don't get to see many really good, radical new gardens. Um, more and more, but not... It, it is sort of slow to get through. Everything always gets so watered down. Uh, you know, grasses, there's about ten different grasses that the garden centre sell, which is a kind of tiny proportion of what could be used. Right, um, right. People are, I and mean, I think what's happening is that the, the keen gardeners are now feeling able to rip up their lawns, and whereas um, you know more conventionally people are people are, are are slow to change certainly. Well, and big box stores certainly don't help that either with their buying practices, no. and you know no, I, I no. think that's where a lot of the mentality comes from. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, one of the things that Carmen and I found really interesting about you is your broad range of writing. You've written books on green roofs and small spaces and indoor gardens and seed heads. What do you think ties all these together other than your love of plants? <laughs> um, I think innovation. I'm, in a great, I'm a great believer in innovation. I mean, the world keeps going on innovation. You know, we have to innovate to survive. Um, I think it all comes down to really understanding plants, uh, which in many ways we've still got a long way to go. I mean, not, uh, I've talked about using plants as like words in a design language. Mm-hmm. I can also, also think we should think about using plants as words in a more technical language that can do a lot for uh, improving the atmosphere in urban spaces, in covering buildings, using plants as a kind of almost an engineering material, mm. uh, which can do so much to improve the environment of being particularly of urban areas uh, and to do that we actually have to understand how they work in a in a very physical way mm-hmm. you know, how quickly they spread how long they live how long they establish that kind of thing uh, which conventional garden reference literature or landscape reference literature doesn't really help you with very much I and mean, I was do I did a PhD research with University of Sheffield looking at that um, I got some funding for a research project last year from the European Union, which enabled me to set up a whole questionnaire for gardeners, domestic gardeners, looking at this, tapping into some of that enormous body of knowledge that uh, hobby gardeners have. And the knowledge is out there, and we need to sort of uh, gather all that together. But I think it's it's all about using plants as, 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 as building elements for creating visual beauty or for, for doing hard, techy things. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we have to take a break. Um, hang on yeah. the hang on the line with us. Uh, you're sure. listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We have Noel Kingsbury on the line from England, and we are talking all about gardens. Um, Noel, we noticed that you lecture fairly widely, and I noticed that one of the topics you've lectured on is the politics of the garden. So I was reading a little bit more um, about that, and um, one of the lines that, that struck me in your blog was, why cultures... Um, are so are, are so different in their gardens. Like, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. Um, so, can you mm-hmm. explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So, in the, the, the gardening does seem to be something very deep within certain cultures and not others. Yeah. Uh, and the gardens can get quite labelled. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at, uh, say, the Mediterranean, you know, Italy, Spain, you know, these, this whole fantastic tradition of these very formal gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they rather look at askance at our gardening style, uh, which is much looser, much more relaxed. Um, or you know, somewhere like India, which is an interesting example, because mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no native Hindu tradition of gardening. The models for gardening in India are basically Islamic or British Imperial. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, neither of those are a very attractive option for a culture which is rather caught up in a kind of Hindu nationalism at the moment. Right, right. Uh, so it's, it's difficult to see what those models for gardening are, whereas if you go to Pakistan, you can see amazing little gardens in the most extraordinary places, uh, which very there's almost like this very deep approach to to garden making that kind of everyone understands in Pakistan, mm-hmm. uh, quite formulaic, but really really rather beautiful that you simply don't see over the border in India. Well, that's really interesting because it's kind of an arbitrary border, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> oh, that border, yes, yes, one of the many embarrassments of uh, the British Empire. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Noel. <laughs> I was just wondering... <laughs> Well, we are talking politics, so yeah. <laughs> next up, yeah, religion. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what What do you think, well, I mean, just, you know, uh, why it's do you... A, it's why a do vernacular. You, why do you, you think know? in India that they didn't develop this, you know, it's it's a it's an ancient culture, it's a, you know, it's very varied and, and rich. Why do you think it doesn't have its own, you know, Indian... I, I honestly don't know. I mean, it's, it's a very intriguing question. Yeah. Uh, that... Uh, I mean, the, the, in a way, I would argue that perhaps the garden, the ornamental garden, has only been invented 
twice in history, once in pre-Islamic Persia, you know, 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. plus, uh, and the other time in China, um, sort of about... 1500 years ago and that you know, all our models of gardening globally really go back to two of those really very ancient cultures mm-hmm. right right so so the politics of the garden then um mm. y- you know what do you think about obama's uh white house garden on the front lawn <laughs> his vegetable oh, garden yes. well it's um it, it's good to see the the obamas getting in on the act of of, of growing your own vegetables I and mean, the whole thing of growing your own vegetables which is as big here as 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 i think it is with, with you guys and it seems to be a global thing i think it's very big in japan as well I and mean, it's fantastic to see that because it's getting an awful lot of lot more people you know, 30 somethings in particular into gardening right uh, so it's 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 really good to see this is a great segue um, because I think Carmen and I were really excited to talk to you about your feelings on um, well your new book is called hybrid and your feelings yeah. on this whole organic movement um, it, it, tell us a little bit more of course Carmen and I have read but um, I want to I want to I want I want to hear you speak on it mm, mm. so let's talk a little um, bit uh, about <laughs> uh, hybrid hybrid was a book uh looking at the history of plant breeding which ended up basically being a, a, a look at crops you know wheat barley potatoes may uh, corn carrots right. and apples mm-hmm. and all the rest of it you know how you look at the wild ancestors mm-hmm. so often and they look completely inedible or they they taste foul or think, well why how do we get from this insignificant uh wild plant to the sort of big juicy things we pick up in the farm in the farmer's market or the supermarket or, or wherever mm-hmm. and i discovered there wasn't a book on all of that uh, and it's a fantastic story full of really you know, this wonderful rich cast of, of characters uh farmers entrepreneurs scientists and others who over history and particularly over the last 200 years have done so much to to transform crops and vegetables and plant breeding really does feed the world Mm -hmm. and you know we are going to be more and more dependent on it with with rising populations and climate change and everything yeah to have a real deep understanding of it and to do it economically and environmentally sensibly right Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I read something um, uh, that you have a little bit of a skepticism for the organic movement, and I thought that was a really interesting statement from a gardener. What exactly did you mean by that, Noel? Well, I think it's always um, useful to think about you know what you do on your plot at home and how that relates to the to the world as a whole. And I think that the trouble is there's a lot of people who've been gardening their own little plot very successfully organically mm-hmm. and given the propaganda of the, the organic industry um, uh, they're made to think well actually if I can do this you know, can we feed the world organically and the answer is absolutely no something like a third of the world's population is actually indirectly dependent on synthetic ni- nitrogen there's those ni- chemical nitrogen fertilizers that really keep us as a species going for tabber and <laughs> in the global picture organic agriculture simply does does not add up although it may be a, an attractive methodology for small-scale vegetable production mm-hmm. um, and i get very worried when i see very um 
this is kind of lazy assumption that uh, organic is 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 actually capable of producing the yields that uh, conventional agriculture can, which it simply can't. Right. And I think the organic movement has also lost out, has lost a huge trick in rejecting genetically modified crops, which are a way of really p- dramatically reducing the amount of pesticides you, you need in, in agriculture. And there's tremendous potential here for really targeted, intelligent breeding. Um, and it's interesting, in fact, there's a, um, there's, a, there's a book published a year ago by a husband and wife team of, of Californian um, uh, research scientists. Uh, she, she's a biotechnologist. He's a an organic farmer. And they were arguing very much that the future of organic agriculture is actually uh, biotechnology. Mm-hmm. So looking at new varieties that are having the sort of natural uh, resistance to insect and, and, and disease problems. Uh, and this is very much the way forward. And uh, unfortunately, most of the organic movement has a kind of an anti-science, rather backward-looking, very romantic approach to, to farming issues, which I think is very, very deeply unconstructive. And I, I feel very disturbed by that. Can you tell us a little bit about the um, Genetics Conference of 1902 and 1906? I was reading that a little yeah. bit in your blog. Yes, that was uh, when when the world discovered genetics, largely through discovering what the um, Czech monk Gregor Mendel had been doing, researching in his monastery in the latter years of the, of the 19th century. Uh, genetics as a word arrived at around about that time at 1900. It must have been an incredibly exciting time to live because over about three or four years there was an annual conference that brought together researchers um, and from Germany, France, uh, Britain and, and the United States. There was a couple organized in, in London, one in Paris and, and one in New York. Uh, and this was when the whole science genetics was actually being discovered and it was very largely being discovered through through gardening and you had some rather extraordinary characters turning up at these conferences these uh, very victorian uh, amateur gentlemen um, um, gardeners who, who were often quite aristocratic they employed a lot of staff and they were able to do all these breeding experiments with whatever they fancied it might be something really practical like barley or it might be something completely esoteric like some rare orchid mm-hmm. uh, but they would perform these these breeding experiments as basically making simple crosses mm-hmm. and coming out either for or against Mendel and uh, these conferences just sounded very very much more elaborate affairs and conferences now and the sort of bands and huge great big meals and, and a lot of kind of formal flim flam that <laughs> it makes a modern scientific conference sound a rather boring snore affair, snore right, right. <laughs> snore snore yeah yeah well that so would make a good hbo movie <laughs> yeah but it has to be said that the the record of the new york conference because that was very much more sober than the than the british ones which involved an awful lot of eating and drinking mm-hmm well, I always find it interesting, you know, when we talk about um, amateur 
right and and what that word really means you know um alice mm-hmm. and i met at the horticultural society of new york which was you know oh yeah yeah you know yeah. what i'm sure we both worked there we worked there i did give a lecture there a zillion years ago yes yeah. Yeah. yeah well they you know they were the the ladies and the gentlemen again you know mm. probably not quite aristocratic but our version of aristocracy you know which <laughs> is wall yes, street yes, yes. um yeah. and you know morgan the, and yeah Ro- and the ladies and the wives of those gentlemen, um, and sometimes the gentlemen yeah, as yeah. well, were plant lovers. And the thing that they didn't try to immediately patent what they found, you know, if they, they mm-hmm. there was a lot more, I found during that era, a sharing of knowledge and information, yeah, yeah, yeah. which, uh, you know, yeah. which doesn't happen now, you know, I don't think uh, nearly as much no, as it no. should. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, it is a romantic notion in a sense because it just they they were so in love with their irises. Let's say they would spend decades working on it. They were not, you know, they were not trained plants people. They they were just they just loved it. They were true lovers of the art and wanted to yes, share. Yes. And we and we owe so mm. much, you know, to them to these amateur gardeners. Mm. You know, but go yes. ahead and tell that to the suburban. You know, mm-hmm. person in in the middle of whatever state y- you want to pick on a map. You know, there's yeah, no yeah. connection to horticulture anymore as a culture, mm-hmm. and that you know that goes back to the politics of the garden and um, and and the design that y- that you do, and you're trying to you know bring natives to the forefront and 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 mm-hmm. use them in a in a daily application you know yeah and yeah. uh it, it's just a it's a sad it's a sad story but yet it's such a buzzword at the same time this whole organic movement and you know yeah, yeah. anti anti-science and yet you know thank god for science because we're all still alive and we have penicillin you know? I know, but we're living <laughs> yeah, in a well, con- yeah. science, science feeds us and keeps us alive and there's an awful lot of us now to, to keep alive on a small planet and yeah yeah, and we have to feed people, like you're saying, you know. Yeah, so I'm yeah, I'm yeah. excited to actually read your your book, Hybrid, mm. which is mm. just out now, right? When did That's, it? It's out now. Yeah. Okay. Yes, good. No, it's, um, it's had some good reviews, and uh, the reviews do stress it's uh, like reading a good novel. So uh, that's uh, that helps. Is it by P- Timber yeah. Press, Anol? Was it uh, po- it's uh, University of Chicago. Oh, Press. University of Chicago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'd like to um, sort of end the show and ask you, this is probably a question that you get asked a lot, but I think our, our listeners would like to know, we, we have listeners from all over the world. Um, can you tell us five gardens that you think, you know, folks should visit that best exemplify the best in garden design and plantsmanship today, anywhere in the world, not limited to the U.S. necessarily, but places that can really inspire people and, and, you know, with design and with good horticulture? Sure. Well, I've got two two in the U.S. One is the High Line, of which we were speaking in in, in Manhattan, uh, which is... You know, I think it's the wildest thing that Pete has done, that Pete Aldolf has done. I mean, there's fantastic plants that give you a really good long season in a very difficult space and a difficult environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chanticleer in, in Pennsylvania, yeah. uh, really fantastic, very creative garden, terrific range of plants. Uh, then over this side of the pond, uh, in England, Great Dixter, uh, not necessarily my style of planting. It's a very sort of high energy, but it's the result of really careful plant selection, really high knowledge of what plants are capable of doing. Uh, 
Yes, that was Christopher Lloyd's garden, uh, right? Artistic vision. Yes, it was. Uh, That was the late Christopher Lloyd, and very much carried on with with Fergus Garrett. Mm -hmm. Um, Then in France, a garden called Le Jardin de Berchigrange, which is right up in the Vosges Mountains. It's a garden that it could be, I can imagine it somewhere up in Vermont or, or in the hills outside Portland, Oregon. Or it is actually quite a, a North American feeling place with these hills covered in conifers. And an incredibly inventive, very wild garden where they seem to have just got this balance between design and, and wildness. Um, and then in Germany, a garden called Hermannshof uh, mm-hmm. in a town called Weinheim in the Rhine Valley, which is very experimental. It's right in the middle of town. It's, a, it's effectively a public park. A very wide range of plants in these sort of habitat groupings. Uh, so it's, it's, it's great on plantsmanship, and it's all about looking at the plant community, the plant combination. Um, so it's a very, very exciting place to see plant combinations that you can imagine being used elsewhere on, a, on a, either a smaller scale or, or indeed a bigger scale. Well, and also your work. I mean, I had a blast looking at your website and just, you know, drooling over those pictures and those hillsides that you've designed. Mm. I mean, they, they are absolutely sublime. So um, Yes, and I always get very um, envious, Noel, when someone has an address with the word cottage in it and no numeral. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. That just doesn't happen in New York, no. you know. No, no. <laughs> I don't think so, no. Mm. It was a uh, cottage and no numeral. Yeah. yeah. So the mail yeah, gets yeah. to him. Well, you know, we, we do enjoy coming over and getting, getting, get, getting the city buzzed. So yeah. it works both ways. Yeah. Good, good. Well, if you're ever in New York, we want you to come and visit us. Oh, well, I will do. I, I usually seem to sort of come over about one, once a year. I mean, it's great to see in New York the amount of community gardening that's taking off. And, yes. Uh, it has become you know, horticulturally now really quite an exciting city. Yeah, yeah. Lyndon Miller is a friend of ours, and she's done a lot, too. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 No, she's, she's a hero. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And there's a lot going on, too, with uh, gardens on um, big farms on rooftops here. The Grange yeah, yeah. is is affiliated with this radio station, and so that's yeah. been really fun to watch the produce come yeah. off of the top of the buildings. So. Yeah, no, that's very exciting. Yeah. yeah, good use of the space. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. And we look forward yeah. to hopefully connecting with you soon here in the United States. Yeah. Great. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Noel. Thank you, Noel. Bye. 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 Well, you've been listening to the Heritage Radio Network and We Dig Plants. We'd like to thank Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and our sponsors. We'd like to thank our producer and engineer, Jack Inslee. Please join us on our Facebook fan page, Groundworks Inc. We Dig Plants. We'd love your feedback, and we're going to be posting a link to Noel's blog and his website. So thanks for listening. See you in the garden.